0: Welcome to the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, the series where we highlight the people, the technologies, and the companies that are shaping the future of retail. Today, as part of our new Ask the Expert series, we are pleased to welcome Chris Shaw, Senior Director at Manhattan Associates. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris.
1: How you doing? Nice to be
0: here. Yeah, man. It's great. I'm excited to have you because when I look at your background, your resume, clearly an expert on a subject that we, quite frankly, have been saying for quite a long time now is one of the key foundational pieces of Om- omnichannel retailing, and that is really order management, system design, and implementation. So I think before we get started and we pick your brand on, on that topic as the quote-unquote expert, walk us through your background a little bit. Like, how did you get to the position where we're sitting here interviewing you today? What all have you done?
1: Yeah, Sure. You know, I've been a little bit of a jack of all trades over the last 20 years, but I got my start in the space as an IT person early on where there was a partnership called return.com back okay. in the early 2000s between FedEx and mailboxes, et cetera, and a little 3PL in Atlanta, oh, Georgia. Right. and It was pretty interesting actually at the time. the The concept was all of these online shopping places were popping up and there was no way to return them. So we <laughs> built this mechanism where you could come into a mailboxes, et cetera. I don't know if you remember those places. We totally but, do, and it,
0: oh my gosh, my partner Ann and I talk about all that, that all the time. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, you know, so interestingly, what they became sort of killed our little venture. When you would go in and you would create a return, then you put it into mailbox, et cetera, FedEx would bring it back to the 3PL DC that I was working with, and then we'd get it back, you know, disposition it, and get it back. And then somewhere right around the middle of it, right before we launched, UPS came in and bought up all the mailboxes, et cetera. And that sort of put it into our our venture. But we were a bit ahead of our time. Yeah, that idea is like cool
0: again. I mean, like Walmart had a big FedEx announcement this week and like, you know, crazy stuff going on in that space. Okay, so what'd you do next?
1: Yeah, so we were a little ahead of our time. So then I really kind of doubled down in the 3PL space. It's been a good bit of time as an IT leader there trying to understand it. And one of the things I went out looking for was an order management platform, something because I had so many customers and so many clients, I needed a way to manage all of these orders and all of the the inventory coming in and out across multiple enterprises or organizations because we serviced all kinds of customers and I couldn't find one. So I went hunting for one and when I finally found one, frankly, I liked it so much, I went to work for the company and so it was a little small company called Yantra at the time and they really were the sort of the founder of distributed order management. Later, I had worked for IBM. You've heard of IBM Sterling, probably. It's a, it's a fairly strong platform in the, in the retail space. And then eventually, I ended up here at Manhattan Associates. And along the way, I've done professional services and sales and marketing. And today, I, I spent a whole lot of time working with our product and services teams.
0: Yeah. And for a lot of our listeners too, because a lot of our listeners, a lot of times some of these topics they're hearing about for the first time as well, as they're trying to make some of these decisions, you know, at retail companies, Yatra almost has its own like kind of legend to it. Like give us, give us like a couple, like 30 yeah. seconds to admit on that. Like what, what is it? What, what was that whole thing about? Back
1: yeah, then? it was a pretty remarkable company. Actually. It was a, a spinoff at of emphasis okay. uh, back in the early two thousands. And these guys just came up with this incredible design pattern for a distributed order management platform and, the best thing about it at the time we'd go out and pitch it. And, you know, when I said we were bleeding edge, I mean, we we're a little tiny startup and, and frankly we bled all over the place, but we had great technology, <laughs> right? I mean, just great technology. Uh, you could go in for a sales deal and just lay the, um, uh, the, the instructions of the manual down on the table. And it was, you know, a hundred pages thick of this amazing Java doc with APIs and everything else. And yeah, half your, half your deal was sold because they were so far ahead from a design pattern now, where they where we struggled were the surrounding technologies. You know, we would scale the thing and the database would break, right? We would, so all of the communications, technologies, things around it, but it was services oriented architecture, the precursor of microservices, really what, you know, kind of set the standard. And and once they kind of got the kinks worked out and and, and it became recognizable for most retailers that they needed to move into an order management space, you know, it took off and IBM acquired Sterling, a uh, company called Sterling acquired them first and IBM acquired them. And, and yeah, so there's this family of what we call yantrix that are yeah. everywhere, all over the space. And you can find them starting companies, working other places. In fact, the chief technology officer, Sanjeev at at Manhattan Associates, was worked with me there. And he, he did a lot of the design work in the original your order management platform there.
0: Yeah, that's so awesome. And a couple, a couple of my favorite people in retail, I think, fall under that that definition and moniker too. So it's cool. It's cool to meet another one. Well, um, okay, talk a little bit about talk about Manhattan too. So let's talk about you know what is Manhattan, uh, you know, your role there, how uh, what that's all about. And then I, I really do want to get into a discussion of kind of the historical evolution of order management systems, where they've been and where they're going next. But first, talk a little bit about Manhattan.
1: Yeah, sure. So Manhattan is a 30-year-old company, publicly traded company, Um, really focuses on commerce and distribution and transportation, really kind of grew up around distribution. Most people probably would know Manhattan as a sort of the warehouse management company, you know, sort sort of pretty big player in that space and have been for a long time. But over the years, really expanded out into transportation management. We have a whole entire product line around demand forecasting, allocation, Um, you know, those kind of inventory planning. And then of course we have our newest uh, solutions, which are what we call Omni, but they're really the ones that are sort of closest to the customer over the years. We've kind of moved from the backside of the, of the supply chain, you know, closer and closer toward, uh, toward the front end consumer. And that's where you would find all of our order management system, point of sale, customer engagement, digital self-service, and those types of platforms. So really it's a, it's a growth area for us. And we started that in 2017 with the launch of Manhattan Active Omni, which we'll probably talk a little bit more about later in general terms. But it was really a game changer for us because it's 100% microservices, all cloud native SaaS solution. And it really created a foundation for us to be a lot more agile and for us to roll out new features and functions a lot faster uh, for our clients, right? Which was your mm-hmm. predominantly retailers uh, mm-hmm. and some distributors you know, on yeah. that platform. So well, that's, that's kind of who we are.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show, because I think your background combined with that is going to make for an incredible history lesson uh, in terms of what we're about to talk about, which is really the history of order management. So, so take us back, okay? And I, I don't know what year you want to start with us, yeah, because sure. I think you could probably almost pick a certain point in time. But like, from your mind, like what, what, was, what is chapter one as you know, order management systems were developing? How, where would you kind of put the starting point there for all of that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, we were really pitching it in 2002, three, four, okay. five, but I would say in the seven, eight, nine range up to 2010, retailers really started to buy in on this idea that they needed a centralized order management solution that could understand all of their selling channels, right? Because they had different solutions in each channel. Whether It was a contact center, whether it was online uh, whether it was in a store, whether it was in a, a, you know, a partner or a distributor, they had more and more, they were having adding on sales channels and then on the back, they're having more and more distribution channels. So mm-hmm. we think back now, you know, back in right. 2005, we thought when you had four DCs and you were shipping, you know, your digital demand out of four DCs, that was very complicated, like that was a big deal. Course, well, I can re- I, I gotta break I can remember that it
0: was at the gap we used to distribute like all of our basic denim out of like one warehouse and then we had then we went to four warehouses in like two thousand two and it was like the biggest decision of all time and right. it was like it was a massive thing to figure out actually for us at the time too so that's kind of what you're describing
1: yeah and then the funny thing is we you know, of course everything grows right in, in capability. We thought that was pretty complex at the time, but right. if you look back now, the way we chose between warehouses, like where you're going to ship it from, besides does it have the inventory, was a pretty simplistic waterfall approach, right? You know, what's the, what, how close am I to the customer and what's the cheapest parcel rate I've negotiated with my three carriers who I'm locked into and I don't ever do another deal with anybody else. That's and right. then, you know, you, you fast forward 15 years and the whole entire dynamic has completely changed. But back then, right you know, that was a big deal. And so as they, as they got into that, they said, Oh, you know what, we're going to need, I have all this inventory coming in now in different places. I need the ability to make sure I know where it is at all times so that I can start to do, you know, what we call promising. Right. And so in the beginning mm. you did promising in the individual, sometimes some, many retailers still do this, but you do promising in the individual selling platform. So your e-com system has some snapshot that it took of, of what the inventory look like, and it's going to do promising from that. And your point of sale system knows about maybe what's in that store, or uh, legacy system, and it doesn't know anything else anywhere else, right? So you, you get these little pockets of inventory visibility. What you normally get is this, you know, global inventory visibility. And, and, and I would say from 2007 to 2015-ish, 17, something like that. Okay. That was really sort of the holy grail, right? We all wanted to know where all our inventory was. Right. Um, and then it, it sort of began to evolve, right? Because during that time, as you get into the later half of that period, you started to see the emphasis on fulfillment. Cause you, you talk about back, you know, we had one DC. Yeah. Well, that, w- that was perfectly fine when you're, when you just told them, hey, you're going to get it in five or seven days, right? Yeah. Oh, and oh, by the way, you're, yeah, gonna you're making you $10 like one dollars
0: right? right? Yeah. You're making like, your promises are really simplistic. That's right. right. And they're not dynamic. Okay.
1: Yeah. And at the time, uh, you know, since you were sending out of a DC, you didn't have to worry about inventory accuracy too much because, you know, right. with warehouse management systems, we got up to 99.9% accuracy in the warehouse. So you could you could trust that system. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about how that, that that becomes a little more difficult when we enable our stores, I'm sure. But, mm-hmm. but you know, what we saw is we kind of got up to what I'll call pre-2017, if you will, right, is. Uh, digital demand's growing, right? We're starting to see, you know, it's that standard slope we saw, you know, pre-COVID, which was every nine right. to 12% every year, you know, it's getting yeah. bigger and bigger. Now, of course, when you put it next to in-store sales, it was still dwarfed, right? Right. Um, but it was growing. And then and then we had what I'll call sort of the, you know, the, uh, the need for speed, if you will, right? So, and Amazon in the US really pushed this, right? Which the, all of a sudden, I'm going to give you free two-day shipping. And it really just started to, change the way retailers had to think about it, right? So now you're, you're working out of four DCs or you're working out of one, but you still have a long way to cover to get that product to, to the, the end consumer who, who has ordered it. And now you're, you're trying to manage and negotiate deals and everything else. So we're starting to see fulfillment become really important, right? It's a driver. People are saying, Hey, look, I, I buy, I'm more inclined to buy when it's cheaper or when I can get it faster. So we're starting to see that as an impact, but, but most of them are still working in the three to five day or five to seven day, or maybe if you want to expedite it, it's in the one to two day. They don't have the Mm -hmm. promising optimization capabilities yet to really match some of the custom work that we see, you know, Amazon doing at the time.
0: And And stores uh, aren't really part of this equation yet either, right? Like as you start to think about them as a node in the network, it's, it's still not really taking hold yet around the timelines you're talking about, right? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Not mainstream, right? You definitely
1: have some leaders out there, right? Some some sort of vanguards who are out there. I remember Best Buy doing it, you know, uh, you know right. trying it a few times a, a long time ago. But but you're totally right. It was not mainstream, and it was not the expectation of the consumer, which I think is probably the most important thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't. We nobody was saying if you don't have it, you're in trouble, right? We were like, oh, hey, okay, five seven days, okay, I'll get five seven days. And so, uh, but I think the I think the key message to take away from sort of that time period was that fulfillment is a cost consideration for us, okay. right? As, as retailers and as distributors, somebody buys from, they choose what they want, they put it in their cart, they decide to buy and then they choose when they're going to get it. And then we can, you know, manage that and everything else. So it's still a, it's still a post-purchase decision or buying decision, um, you know, related to cost at that point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. I like how you said that too. So like pre 2015, 2017 ish, that time frame. you're really saying like, In the consumer mindset, the expectations were, even though Amazon was coming, the expectations were still pretty basic. And so retailers are really taking that almost as a given and they're saying, okay, how do I make my order management decisions, any technology I'm going to invest into that end, it's really going to be on on a cost accounting basis, like really to say, you know, how do I just kind of optimize what I have to save money and get things there as quickly and as fast as possible versus the other side of the ledger, which I'm sure we'll get to So, So then what's chapter two? Like with that as the backdrop, what happens mm, next?
1: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting what we're, um, as I'm thinking about this while we're talking about this, that you know, our, the timeframes for our chapters are getting smaller and smaller, right? Our, uh, the, the, the progression of-
0: As always, right? and
1: complexity gets tighter and tighter. That first one was like 10 or 12 years long. Uh, this It's like Moore's got, law, man. Like, right, I yeah, right. we didn't even know that, right? Yeah, it's that's always right. the
0: way it happens, Yeah,
1: yeah so to me i would call this almost like the me too era right so we saw amazon be you know kind of pushing it It was like all right we're gonna you know as giant online marketplaces like amazon start to push this then you start to see the responses And in the beginning right it's always the big guys who have a lot of custom budget and can spend a ton of money and and they mostly build their own stuff so you got the walmart's and the targets of the world and i think walmart in particular has done a really phenomenal job of trying to respond to amazon right and really kind of flip the tables and of course they got in this arms race for fast and free delivery right like uh, you know i can get it in two days well i can get it one day well I, you can get it here if you pick it up here and you, you know and they started to, to do that but what happened was of course it reset our expectations so before in that previous era you and i we did you know we we're right. like oh, okay five, seven days now all of a sudden because we're consumers of those leaders now our expectation you know every time we have a great experience our expectation for all retailers goes up and so now we're a situation where we're saying hey um, you know, this is something maybe I expect from everybody, and and you know, we, you know, we always talk about Amazon, and certainly we, this this isn't a podcast about Amazon. It's about everybody else who who has to deal with that. I think, but they're a huge disruptor, and most like mostly because they never really had to make any money being a retailer, right? They, Amazon Web Services they make money hand over fist, and so yeah, they, and all that you stuff, know, and yeah. so I, I think uh, I saw somewhere, you know, Target annual revenue is something like in you know, a five billion dollar range, and you know, in the in 2019, Amazon spent 40 billion dollars just on shipping. <laughs> so you can see, right, that the that the you know they're they are really pushing that. But so, but but what I really love yeah, about yeah, the
0: target.com, it's comparison, yeah, for sure,
1: uh, absolutely. And so then you, but you get Walmart, who I think really were, were sort of the vanguard, of saying, hey, you know what, the store network is an advantage, right? I have. I have a physical presence that's closer to the customer. And now we're starting to see the convergence of physical and digital, right? Before it was mm-hmm. digital, 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 ship out of DCs, ship out of... And then it was physical, physical. No, those are the people that like to go in the store. These are the people mm-hmm. that like to order online, right? And they were, mm-hmm. they were kind of separate. And mm-hmm. now we start to see the beginning of this convergence of physical and digital. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I like to shop online, but I want it now. So now the, the store, ha- if, if they can make their inventory available and they can do the right promising, Maybe they have an advantage now when it comes to
0: that fulfillment time window
1: time frame, right?
0: So using the store as either a ship from, ship from node in the network or even as a pickup node in the network.
1: Yeah, and it started probably as return, right? Like I order online, now you can return to the store. You remember that was sort of like the first phase was you could return to the store. But what we don't really realize as retailer, you know, for, for the general public, I mean, everybody watching this is going to realize because they're probably all retailers. But, you know, most of the systems when they took that in place were all manual, right? They they take the thing back from you, but they might not have sold it in that store. They might mm-hmm. not have ever stocked it in that store. They don't know how to disposition it in that store. So they just throw it in a bin and then send it back to a DC somewhere and hopefully somebody takes care of it. Um, but as we move forward, right, we recognize that that's untenable, right? We can't keep moving in that direction. We have to be able to manage things doesn't matter anymore. Right now, we see it in the term. Right now, omni-channel has 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 arrived. Right, it's in vogue so, again. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so you know, this idea of omni-channel has arrived. Where, as a consumer, my expectation is that I'll talk to you any way I want to talk to you online over chat. I'm gonna call you on the phone, or I'm gonna walk in your store. You should know the same thing about me in every place. You should know my history in every place. Uh, And I should be able to see the same inventory in every place based on what I want and get access to it. Right. So the expectations Mm -hmm. now, you know, have gotten a lot higher in this window. And I think the trickle down effect starts right for the rest of retail. So everybody else now it's time to get on board and start to start thinking about this. And they did right. Everybody started thinking about it. Right. Their, their, their horizons may have been different, you know, as far as how fast I'm going to implement it. But at this point, Inventory visibility is a given. You better have it, right? It's basic blocking and tackling. And now we start to move into the need for, because because I've moved from four DCs to 400 stores, right. and my ship nodes went from four to 404. So Right, it, 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 and not only that, of course, none of these places that I just added have ever shipped anything before. They don't have anybody in them that works that knows how to ship anything. They don't have any systems that were ever built for shipping anything yeah. or delivering or picking up or anything. Or picking, right? So, yeah. right, so you get all these things. And so now I think the next thing that starts to become important at this phase is if you're gonna enable all those stores, how do you know now? Remember that, that simplistic logic we had before about choosing yeah. between the four distribution centers? Well, how am I gonna choose between 400 and four, right?
0: And, and yeah, exactly. Like what, and what for the audience, like technologically what pressure points start to emerge or what starts to need to change, like between this, like 2017 ish to we'll talk pandemic next, but like, as you go into pandemic, what what systematically that is needing to change to accommodate what you're talking about. So things can work in the right Right, way. Right. right
1: So now you're into this phase of what I'll I'll sort of call, we, we, you know, in Manhattan, we kind of call it sort of the three tiers of, of inventory excellence, right? And so okay. Inventory visibility is this first one, right? Because you okay. can't sell anything if you can't see it, right? So, right. number one, I got to be able to no see brain everything, brain. right? Yeah. So, no matter where I'm coming in, I need to, be able to see it. But our our second tenant really is just because you see it doesn't mean you should sell it. And so now mm-hmm. you have, and I think to your to answer your question in the most simplistic form, complexity is what has changed, right?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, DCs. Uh, if you're in the, in the distribution center, nobody ever walks up to the guy in the distribution center picking things and taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, can you help me? But it happens in the store, right? In the right. store, you have inbound traffic. You have people coming in, you have to fulfill normal walk-in traffic and you have to have inventory that is available and reserved for them to do that now. Certain stores carry more than others. Certain ones have different demand patterns. You have promotions that are going on in different ones. You have staffing levels and capabilities is in different, different ones, right? Yeah. yeah. And forget the COVID thing. We haven't got to that yet. Yeah. Right. You just, just in general, all of these different things that I have to contend. So for us, the second phase is really that available to promise page. We call it available to commerce, but that's just our little sure. acronym. The available to promise page, which is, hey, I need dynamic viewing. So if, if uh, Chris is coming in online and he's doing a search what inventory is he going to see what Mm -hmm. am i going to make available to him based on where he is who he is what he's bought what i have in, in available what markdowns i have in certain areas um you know now now i'm i'm changing what i'm going to show him based on that now of course if your brother goes in and he logs in he might see something different because there might be something about him that's different he might be coming in as a preferred customer. So maybe they've made some changes. He might be coming in from a different region, so they're offering something different. Or he might've called the contact center and the contact center agent has access to more or different. Or he might be walking into the store and that store associate, because they're in the store, they have some special reserve or more reserve, they might have access to more. So anyway, you need a lot of views that can be dynamic and they have to be real time, right? We're in a real time world at this point and nothing else is batch anymore. We're asking in real time, more of these that we put in place, the more that they're coming in, the more variety that are coming in, the more locations we have to support, the more lookups we have to do, we start to see some performance constraints, right? right. we're still we're still mostly doing the promising at the um, cart level and the checkout level right now. Mm-hmm. so so we're still okay, but we're starting to see some of those constraints.
0: And then Got I it. think yeah. So and you know, that, that's an important point. Though. I want to make sure we, yeah. we click on that. So yeah, that's interesting. Cause I hadn't thought about that. Like, so yes, at this stage in the historical development of order management, a lot of that promising quote unquote, so to speak, is really happening inside of the cart. So not quite yet as up in the funnel, but more yeah, inside in the cart as you're making that decision at that point, that is key, right?
1: Yeah. It's super important because we're going to see as we move forward in our timeline that, that when that changes, it causes us some serious problems, right? Uh, when, because of the expectations of the consumer.
0: So but, let's talk, oh, no, go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say the, the, the third phase or the last phase really is the optimization piece. And this is where all the machine learning and the AI and all of the latest, greatest math algorithms that we've been hearing about over the last couple of years comes into play. So now I, I can right. see everything. I'm going to limit what I'm going to promise based on however I want to constrain the view. All in real time. And also in real time now, because I have so many stores, I just no longer can do a waterfall approach of do I have the inventory and which one's closest to the person? Because right. if A then if, the
0: B then if, C then. Yeah.
1: Well, if you're in a region where you are moving, let's say we got the blue sweater, right? And I'll call it the blue sure. sweater problem. So the blue sweater is you've ordered the blue sweater and you're on the system and my promising engine says, well, I, you know, I can send that from a hundred different places. And then you say, well, I need monogramming. And they're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm down to 14 places. Oh, and I need it tomorrow. Okay. Well, I'm down to five places, but how do I choose which of the five, you know, five could actually get it to you on time, what you want, when you want it. Now I need to look at the most cost-effective way for my organization to get it to you. I'm already going to make you a promise. I'm going to get it to you on time. And I got to keep that promise But now I have multiple ways to get it to you. I'm now going to do a real time analysis, looking at all kinds of factors in and out of the store, in and out of the DC, in my shipping timeframes, everything else to decide which one I'm going to choose and make sure that I make that selection. And it's really important because it could be that the place that's closest to you is selling that that blue sweater as fast as they can put it on the shelf at, at list price. But two states over, they can't. I mean, they can't even give them away. So I'd rather pay the extra dollar twenty to get it from the other location, uh, which normally in our traditional one we never would have selected that, right? Because it wouldn't have matched the waterfall approach. But now I'm saying I'm going to use much more strong, a much stronger algorithm for me to understand the real value and the real cost of the business. So that, that's kind of where we are now, as we as we end the era heading into 2019
0: and okay and what and what makes that so hard technologically too because like there's probably some people like uh oh, it just sounds like an algorithm you just put it in and the engineered nerds behind the scenes just kind of make it happen but you actually have to have district, different system design for this right like it's got to be working real time is it is it cloud-based like what are the things that actually make that function uh one one thing on top of the other like you described so quickly and so fast
1: yeah so i, I think there's two levels um, and we'll probably talk about another level in a minute when, when we talk about the, the speed element that gets added with, okay, like, with maybe, COVID, yeah right? But, but in this pretty good case, absolutely cloud is the foundation, right? I think, okay. I, I think being a SaaS application with rapid access to inputs and data from all over the place in real time is sort of the baseline. You, you, it's really difficult to do it with legacy systems where you're bolting on stuff and adding on things and putting them in place. Frankly, we tried that for a number of years, right? It wasn't until 2017 we realized you know, we got a great order management system functionally, but, but our clients are going here and we can't get this system here. So we needed to do something different to get them where they need to be. And I, I think from a core fundamental standpoint, uh, you know, you, you have to be running in the cloud uh, as a cloud native solution. And that was one of the key
0: points I want to get across because I've been, I've been writing that for, I think the past three years is there's just that latency effect in, in, in what you're doing, if you're not doing it this way and that's going to be inherently problematic. And I think that's been, I think we're seeing that now exacerbated by the pandemic. So pandemic happens now, how are things changing? How is what we're talking about evolving?
1: Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll put it in the context of just 2019 versus 2020 then. Right. Okay. See that. So as we went into 2019, uh, we, we, you know, during 2019 and in the holiday, 2019 season, we saw store-based fulfillment starting to become mainstream. Now people were doing it at different levels, but they were, they were doing it a pretty significant amount. I think in, you know, for us, we saw buy online pickup store. So BOPUS, curbside lockers, people starting to use lockers, same day courier, you know, we're starting to see fracturing of the ways you can get your product. So not only are we, have we now fractured the number of locations that you're going to get your product we're now fracturing by location the number of ways we can get it to you, right? Uh, You know, in different locations. So again, piling on complexity, right? Uh, uh, We talked about before in a system that's, you know, for the most part, probably already somewhat strained uh, at this point, but in holiday 2019, we saw from our clients a significant portion of them now doing more than 50% of their total digital fulfillment volume out of their stores. And so that was a pretty significant jump. For, for some of them, but they were still sort of the leaders or the vanguards, I think, in the space. And as you say, it wasn't really until February, March of 2020 and definitely into April that we really start to essentially put gasoline on the fire, right? So, okay. so we've been talking all along, right? There's been trending. So we had the trends. The trends were there. People were going there. But yeah, I'm going to go there in three years or two years or one year, or four years. Right. And then in a matter of, I don't know, what, four weeks, people had to go there now. And I think that was the real change, right? They just... the the skyrocketing speed with which all of this came to fruition because all of a sudden the stores were gone. You couldn't go into the store anymore.
0: And is, is the match really the, that lit the gasoline? Is it really this, I mean, to me, it feels like it's this expectation around like, you know what, now I can just have everything same day. And like you said, there's all these options for me to get it same day. It could be shipped from store, pick up on the curb. It could be a third party service. But I, as a consumer have that expectation. And now retailer, I kind of expect you and really, because I have no other choice when safety is a top concern, I really expect you to figure out how to make that happen. I mean, is that, is that fundamentally all that it comes down to in terms of, you know, what's ignited that?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's what we learned over 2020. So, you know, when we started, everybody was really patient, right? Like we were all like, kind of everybody's freaked out a little bit, right? And so we're all yeah. really oh, patient. Yeah. We knew everybody was adjusting. If we had to wait a long time, that was okay. If we had to drive up in front and call you on the phone and you right. come out, we're okay with that. Uh, by the time we got to like August, we weren't okay with that anymore, right? We, you know, we were we were our expectations changed. And and what you said there, I think, is the most fundamental change we've talked about the entire time for retailers. Uh it's one thing to be able to deliver on all of this and to be able to put it in place and make sure that you have the systems in place to do it, but something fundamentally changed with consumers during the 2020 cycle. And it was, you could tell it was already brewing in 2019 and 2018, but it it really changed in 2020. And that was essentially the move from fulfillment activity being a decision or or a cost add on consideration post-purchase to being a buying decision before I made the purchase. So all of a sudden that blue sweater, yeah, I need it blue and I want it in size large and I want it monogrammed. But I also want you to tell me when you can get it to me and how I can get it. Because if you can't tell me that way up front before I even put it in the cart now, I'm going somewhere now. else at will.
0: Yeah. It's all got to show up in the front. So technologically, what does that mean? Because to me, I mean, that sounds like it means you've got to have a great backend design, but you've also got to really understand front end in terms of how you bring this to life in terms of what consumers are expecting to see against the logic that you're going to promise behind the scenes.
1: Yeah. So you can't, So essentially a couple of things are happening right now at this point, right? We just mentioned that the volumes are skyrocketing. So so to set the framework for this kind of promising that we're talking about now, you had some stores that were doing, I don't know, 15 or 20 orders a day, you know, small kind of getting going out of their stores. And now they're doing 300 plus a day. When you're doing 15 or 20 orders a day, you can use workarounds. You can use manual stuff. You can figure it out. If you're doing 300 a day, you better have DC quality pick, pack, ship, and inventory management capabilities in the store. And frankly, most retailers who weren't already on the path were kind of caught flat footed, right? Because they have a traditional point of sale system, which is great for selling to someone who's walking in the store, but has no context or basis for a digital order coming in, a person driving up to the front of the store, you having to pick the item and communicate with them digitally and get it into their car and never talk to them, you know, face to face, it's contactless commerce that sort of emerged. The the volumes now have really stressed the store. So now you're gonna, you're gonna, digital volume is exploding. Everything's in place. You're already ha- having trouble, trouble making promises because of all the complexity we've added. And now we have what you just talked about, which is we've added all this volume up front. We no longer are going to make one call per buying cycle because someone is in the cart and then we're going to make one call for a Mm -hmm. five day or five to seven day. Or even if we had an optimized one, we're making one call. Mm -hmm. We now have thousands of people on the site. We have potentially hundreds of locations we can ship from. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, hundreds, tens of thousands of items potentially in our, uh, in our catalog that people are buying and, and ordering from, and they're all doing it at the exact same time. And now, all that promising logic that was left to the end is now having to happen up front because we got to give them at the same time we're giving them size and color. So all of a sudden the volume is exponentially higher for your digital systems to be able to make the promising, but the consumer isn't changing their expectation for the promise. If you promise me something you better deliver on the promise. So now we start to run into true technical issues, with the platform itself. And really it starts with the relational database systems, right? Okay. Like the, the model of those systems, they were designed and we were using them back in Yantra. I mean, it's the same design pattern we were right. using them in 2002 and they broke then when we scaled it. Right. So now they, it's just untenable and they're not capable of doing it. And so we began to recognize this, you know, in Manhattan and, and doing a lot of research on it back in 2019, we already were recognizing that, Hey, if the volumes start to keep growing like this, of course we had no idea COVID would come, but, If they keep growing like this in the next couple of years, we're going to have some retailers out there who are really stressing the system and they're going to start to get, uh, you know, record locks and contentions and other issues. And they're going to start breaking the database. How do we, how can this thing be reorganized and redesigned? And the way we did it essentially is we used a hyper caching in memory system. So all of the inventory for the entire organization is now housed in memory. Now, of course, there are still relational systems to write to so that you can have long-term storage, but you just shift everything into this hyper-caching system, and all of a sudden you just unlock instantaneous promising and the ability to not have to uh, reduce any of that real-time exhaustive optimization uh, logic that we already talked about, it's still Mm -hmm. happening. It's just now happening at an exponentially faster pace because you're getting exponentially higher requests for it.
0: Yeah, or not have to rely on even yeah even just kind of like the bolt-on systems you've got now for the last six months which is my fear which i think a lot of retailers are probably still kind of just muscling through this at all levels to compensate for technology to compensate for in-store processes whatever that's going to i think become a real real question for a lot of them how do you i'm curious like as you look at the market i mean you talked about the big guys really you know kind of being on the front end of this the targets the walmarts but you know there's so many other players out there you know say billion dollars and above as an example that like you know just don't have the resources to do that on their own but yet this is a fundamental problem now because the consumer has shifted to the degree that we've talked about like how do you how do you think about that question into relation to what they have in front of them like what are your thoughts as an expert on on how to go about looking at that yeah i I
1: think it's a lot if you try to think about it all at once and try and figure out how do I get there from mm-hmm. here? So I, I think you have to break it down. And I think the easiest way to do it is break it into sort of a functional bucket and a technical bucket. Okay. From a functional bucket, I think it's, let's focus on centralized promising first. Do I have that inventory visibility? Do I have the ability to change the views and, and see what I need to see so I can make a good promise? Do I have the ability to optimize after I've made the promise to make sure that I'm, you know, that sort of the second level is is getting the best cost value for my company? once i make that decision so and then the third one is the one we just talked about and that's acceleration of promising right so so don't try to bite off all of it at once um you know you you can you can go in chunks and do it you can grow into it um they stage that
0: way like it ladders like that chris
1: it can it depends i mean it, it depends on the platform you're going to look at and the solution you're going to look at i would say you know regardless of what choice they make from a software platform from a vendor selection Um, make sure that they can get to those three things. Now, they may be able to get all three at once, right? Depending on how they move to the platform. But most most retailers, most retail organizations don't have the luxury of doing a complete big bang uh, move for all their systems. And so they're going to have to add and deprecate and add and deprecate. So they want a future system that's going to allow them to be able to extend and use existing legacy technology and then deprecate it when they need to to bring in a new one. And that really kind of leads us to the technical side of it, which is, invest in a future system, invest in systems that are designed and built to be run natively in the cloud. So cloud native architectures, 100% microservices, Microservices. make sure they're extensible. And if all of those are in place, they should never need upgrading. So you should be able to get innovation on a regular basis that you can choose to take when you want because it's just delivered on a monthly or quarterly basis that's coming all the time. And the advantage of that really, if you put all those pieces together and probably the most important thing for any retailer in 2020 and beyond is agility, the ability for them to adapt and adjust. We had so, I mean, think about it. When your stores get shut down, you need the ability to pivot and do something different so that you don't strand that, that uh, inventory. And you may even have situations we've had in situations where the same exact retail chain, let's say it was hundred stores. Some stores are closed down all the way. Some are halfway closed down. Some are wide open and your system needs to be able to adapt and manage that and help those uh, take advantage of the inventory that's in those locations and turn on alternative choices like ship from store, curbside, pick up in store and enable those pieces. And we had some retailers who had already moved in that direction, right? They were already invested in the future system. They, they weren't there yet from all the functional standpoints. And they were able to turn on some of these functions in a week or two weeks or three weeks to be able to get them back up to speed and take advantage of that so that they didn't, they didn't miss that. But it was because they were investing in the, in the core infrastructure that gave them the agility to do
0: that. Yeah, they had the architecture that enabled them to do that. Well, that's a good segue too, because my last question was going to be this, because we talked about history. And you know, we're starting on 2021 here. Let's do a little prognostication then. What's the next chapter? Like where does this go next? So you talk about people needing to set everything up in that manner. What's coming next that they need to be prepared for so that they can kind of marshal the resources and move in that direction when it comes?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's sort of uh, you know, you want to put on the Johnny Carson and Karnack You should. Yeah. Like head, right? yeah. <laughs> if I knew how to predict it, uh, I, I would be probably out in Vegas or something doing something different. But, but I think, I think in general, when you look forward, the fact that you can't predict it is the important part. If okay. someone had mentioned to you last year, Hey, you know, you need to be ready for contactless curbside pickup next year. You would have said, well, what's the point? Why? Why wouldn't I want to talk to the person? In fact, when they get to the store, I want them to come in so that I can sell them something else. Right. You you wouldn't, we wouldn't even have planned for that. And that showed up and you know, we had to adjust and we had to adapt. So there will be something coming next that we haven't anticipated yet, which gets back to that sort of that agility piece. You have to be ready for whatever comes next. But I think the one thing I would take away from where we are now is it's not going back. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, if we have a, a successful rollout of the vaccines should be awesome. It should really help us as a, as a, as a worldwide economy and get sort of back on our feet and moving again. But we have made so many strides and so many people have moved so much farther digitally mm-hmm. and with this expectation of omni-channel that there's no going back. So retailers need to know that this is moving in a forward direction. Uh, it's not gonna be something that just kind of falls back to the you know where we were before.
0: Well, the thing you get me wondering about too is like, I, especially as I start thinking about this competitively, and like you start taking the strategic, you know, mindset of an executive, is I start to wonder as you think about like the Amazons, the WalMarts, Targets, Best Buys, et cetera, all the big guys who have you know started thinking this way, do they start to get to the point too where they can start to shape the demand curve with the with the mindset being you know such a in such a state right now that same day is such an important thing. Can I start to shape? the revenue side of where all of this comes from by being smart and how I, you know, calibrate my promotional and marketing strategies against this system design. I mean, am I crazy to think about that? Or is that also potentially where this is all going?
1: No, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the more data we have, the more information we have, and the faster we have it, the more real time we can make those adjustments. So maybe promotions, you know, take on a whole nother level, right? Because we, ha- we can take in all this data, including fulfillment activity, And uh, pick up activity and delivery activity and put it into the front end. So I I absolutely think that they'll continue to push forward. And I think, you know, all, as I said before, right, the expectation isn't just when I go into a mega retailer that I'm going to get this level of service. It's when I shop, this is what I expect.
0: Yeah. What you get me thinking about it. And we'll, let's, this is probably a good segue too, in terms of the how millennial are you section, but it gets me thinking about, okay, like what is, how are you serving that same kind of front of the funnel information in social media? When you see something and you're captivated, boom, right then and there, like, how is that all working? And the retailers that understand that are probably going to be the ones that win. And so it just gives more credence to everything we're talking about. All right, man, well, let's shift gears. I'm excited for this. It's going to be a blast. Um, all right, question for you: If you have the option, you're say you're in a grocery store, pre, or maybe even during the pandemic, but maybe pre, are you pulling out your mobile wallet like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, or are you uh, paying with cash, credit card? Like, what what's the traditional way Chris Shaw is shopping in store?
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, unfortunately I almost always default back to the uh, to the old analog card. I don't know if it's just it. Are Abbott. you still? Yeah, really? I mean, I, I have all those things. I have Apple Pay and Walmart Pay and Target, all those things, and I've used them like, and I use them a lot of times just to see how well they work and you know all of the the pieces that go along with you know being in this industry. But uh, I guess I would say I use Apple Pay more than anything else if I'm if I'm paying, but. I can't remember the last time at a grocery store I used it. I almost always pull out the card still. So I guess
0: I'm not very millennial. That is amazing. The guy who just gave us a <laughs> history know. lesson on order management I systems know. and microservices and, <laughs> and design. It's pulling out the credit card. Yeah. You're not the only one that's ever answered that that way. That's why we do this. It's fun to see the trends. All right. In the last week, how many times have you ordered food or drinks via a mobile app?
1: Unfortunately, my family goes to Chick-fil-A a ridiculous amount of time, and they have a phenomenal app and I use it every single time. So I would say about four or five times this week, in the past week, we have bought with the Chick-fil-A app. Oh
0: my God, all from Chick-fil-A. That's so funny. I was just, it's so funny you said that. Just this morning, I was looking back at who I named Best omni Channel Retailer of 2019 and I picked Chick-fil-A for that very reason. Their, their, yeah. map, their app is stellar. Yeah. All right, if you, if you can only live with one social media platform. What would it be and why? I have no idea which way you're going to go.
1: Yeah, this. I'm, this is going to be another one of those. You're definitely not millennial. Uh, for me, it's Facebook. And okay. the reason is because I used to love those online forums, right? Because let's say you're into yeah. cars or you're into, you know, video or photography or whatever. And you go to these forums and there's all these experts in there and everything else. But they've all kind of vanished. And the only place I can find them are Facebook groups. So I, I do spend an inordinate amount of time in Facebook groups. So. Uh, my kids would tell me that that makes me definitely not millennial, but uh, but that's, yeah, so that's the, my place.
0: So that also means you were like an online chat guy before. Is that what that is? That, is that yeah, that I mean, I go way guys.
1: back to the BBS on the dial-up boards, right? From Back to being in high school and in my first years in college
0: oh my gosh all right that is fantastic (laughs) so good we have never heard that one before we've never heard that one but that would be my choice too would be facebook for sure 100 percent so i'm right there with you on that well hey man that was a ton of fun i i really really enjoyed that conversation because i think it's you know, it's a different angle that we take to the show too in terms of like trying to really get to the root of like what all everything excuse me what everything is about that's going on and how do we need to think about it and put it in the proper context and I thought you did a great job of that today so like if people want to learn more about Manhattan Associates if they just want to get in touch with you like what's the best way for them to do that
1: yeah absolutely I mean you certainly could find me on LinkedIn you can go to manh.com or you can just email me at cshaw at manh.com we'll get to you in, in one of those ways
0: Awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks so much for doing this. The other joke I always have with Chris is that he sounds exactly like Dan Patrick. If Those of you that are familiar know who that is whenever I talk to him. So hopefully that's coming through loud and clear on the interview. But hey, again, Chris Shaw from Manhattan Associates. Thank you so much for being with us, Chris. And to all of you that are listening out there, I say it every time, it's important as we start this new year, be careful out there.